0: Morning. Welcome to Southridge. We're so glad that you would be here. Looking forward to a great service, great scene this morning. I'm excited about this morning's message. Welcome. We are in a series entitled Christian. This is the fourth installment of the series. We're kind of wrapping up the series in a sense. We're glad that you are here. Each week we've been redefining, or not redefining, we've been getting back to what Christian is supposed to mean. Because it's more than just a label. And today it seems like Christian, that's all it is. Just just kind of a label, nothing really more, nothing really less. Everybody calls themselves a Christian nowadays, whether they are or they aren't. But we're getting back to what it truly means to be one who follows Christ. And we've been talking through different subjects. We've been talking about... um, when it comes to being a Christian, what does that mean? Because you and I know a lot of people that love Jesus. I mean, if you ask people, hey, do you like Jesus? And they'll tell you, oh, I love Jesus. I just can't stand his followers. I just can't stand anybody that follows Jesus, you know? I mean, Jesus is great. I like him. But it's all those other people that I just don't get along with. And, 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 and I find that peculiar because we're supposed to be so much like Jesus. And I think it's been because we settle for being a Christian, like, Not really living up to it. It's just kind of like, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, My life doesn't really live or I don't really act like it. But, you know, that's just kind of the label that I throw on it. So we're just going back into it. And we've been asking several hard questions because I find a lot of people, when it comes to Christianity, the reason they're so put off is because Christianity is answering questions that nobody's asking. There's a lot of people that are uh, out there saying, oh, hey, this is when we think Jesus is going to come back, and this is what we think about this, and this is what we think about this. And everybody's saying, hey, how does that help me in, in, in my life right now? How, how am I supposed to engage with that? How am I supposed to uh, deal with that? I've had a couple of reporters, for whatever reason, call our church. In the last uh, two weeks ago, there was one. Don't worry, we're not getting sued. There's nothing bad happening. But we had a reporter call me la- two weeks ago, interested about the church. And then again this week, uh, another one. They're just like, hey, how do you engage people that are in the Silicon Valley? And I'm like, well, you've got to find them where they're at answer the questions that they're wrestling with in their life. If you're just talking over them, just trying to fill their heads with knowledge, that's not going to work. And so we're coming back to, are we asking the right questions? So we've asked so many questions, but this week, and I think it's one of those foundational questions we need to ask. Why would anyone want to become a Christian? You ever thought about that? I mean, why would anybody want to? Because I know a whole lot of Christians who they're Christians and they're really mad about it. I mean, you just see them, and they're just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they're just, they act like their life sucks. And they're just like, oh, it's terrible, you know? Uh, all the things I can't do anymore. All the things I used to have so much fun. And they talk about, oh, I used to party like crazy, and I used to do all this, and I used to do, but now I'm a Christian, so my life is boring. And they're like, wait a minute, what what happened? That, that, that's not the change that was supposed to happen. And so, so many people, when it comes to being a Christian, there's a lot of people that are hanging out on the fringe saying, no, no, I, I don't know if I'm really down with that. And so this morning, we need to ask that question. Why would anyone want to become a Christ follower? And as I began to study the scripture this week, I came across a great passage of scripture. And if you have your Bible, it's in Luke chapter number 5. If you don't, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen. It'll also be in your worship guide. And can we do this? Let's get a little exercise. Can we stand as we read these 11 verses? We won't stand for long. But we're just going to stand as I read these aloud. And you can follow along. It's in your worship guide. You can pull out your i. IP- iPad or iPhone, or if you are a, not a Christian, you can use an Android, you know, so I mean, that's okay, we, we're okay with a few Android users, not many, not many, so we had a couple traders this week that I found out about, you know, that, that left, that left, we won't mention any names, <clears throat> he's an usher this morning, but that's alright, we won't mention any names, but uh, you know, there's, there's some people who have who have jumped ship, Uh, We're just teasing. We have fun. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. We're not that formal here. I know I'm wearing a suit and tie. I don't always wear a suit and tie, but today I just felt like it. it was just sitting there, and I just grabbed it, partly because I didn't want to think about what other clothes to wear. I was like, you know what? It's just there. It's a whole lot easier. Just one of those mornings. Anybody else have those mornings? You're not really even looking at what you're wearing. You're like... Dear Lord, I pray this matches when I go to work. Just please let it match because I didn't even look this morning. So it's one of those kind of mornings, all right? Lights were out and that type of thing. Luke chapter number five, beginning of verse number one. Here's what the Bible says the writer, Dr. Luke, wrote. Verse number one. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, this is Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And the lake uh Gennesaret is a term for the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Tiberias. Several names in scripture, but uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. If you're familiar with Israel, it's that one large body of water there. And so this is the Sea of Galilee, Jesus' miracle centered around this sea. And so this is where he was going to preach and teach. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets, okay? And I need to make just a little bit of commentary, okay? When you wash a net, you don't wash it in the boat, okay? Just so you have that in your mind. The fishermen are not in their boats, and they are washing their nets, because the way they would fish in that day and age, they would throw out the fish and they would have two lines and then they would pull it in so it would kind of make a round circular, look like a sack by the time they pulled it close. So when they would throw it out into the ocean and they'd pull it close and they'd draw it up see if they got any fish, there'd be weeds, there'd be debris, there'd be junk so that they'd have to bring it to shore, clear all that stuff out, and then get ready for the next night because they fished that night. Okay, I know you're thinking, I don't know how that applies to my life. You Don't worry. Just stay with me. It'll make sense in just a moment. All right, and Verse number three. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And he prayed him that he would launch out a little from the land. And he sat down in the boat, and he taught the people out of the ship. So there were so many people on the shore that we're listening to Jesus and the crowd's getting closer and getting closer. And I don't know if you've ever been waiting for a uh, a movie or you're waiting for a concert or you're waiting in to get into, uh, it's Black Friday, you're waiting to get into Best Buy and the crowd is like just pushing you. You're not even moving, but there's this crowd like pushing you. This is what's happening. Jesus is teaching. The crowd is getting larger and it's getting larger. He's backing up more. He's backing up more. All of a sudden, he's feeling a little bit of waves kind of wash up on his feet and he says, Forget this. I'm just going to get in a guy's boat, and they can't push me anymore. So he's starting to teach from the boat, okay? So verse number four, And when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a drop. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. I mean, we've worked hard all night to fish. And here's what Peter says. And he says, and have taken nothing. We didn't, we didn't get anything. We fished all night long, and we're tired. We're sleepy. We're mending our nets. But I love what Peter says. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink with all the fish. So these boats, I mean, they're not just tiny little kayaks. These are pretty good sized boats, probably about eighteen to twenty feet long. Enough room for about four to five men to carry the nets in. So it's pretty decent. So you can imagine in your mind a boat eighteen to twenty feet, about five people in each boat. Um, they would fill these boats pretty full with fish, and now they're so full the boats are about to sink this is an incredible miracle okay so they've just gotten all these fish all of a sudden peter's like yes i didn't get anything last night but this is a great catch of fish so he's all excited verse number seven and he beck- or verse number eight and when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus feet saying depart from me for i am a sinful man O lord for he was astonished, and all that were with them, at the daughter of the fishes, which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now, verse number 11, this is interesting. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. I don't get that. That doesn't register with me. Like, I don't understand why they would do that. You just got the largest catch you've ever had. This is your income. And all of a sudden, you know how fishermen like to talk about, I caught the fish this big. They really did. I mean, this is, this is one of those days where they go back to everybody else and tell everybody else, we went fishing, and it was awesome. All you lazy bums, you went back to go home. You went and slept. Guess what? We filled up two boats, baby. And they were. this is their livelihood. They made a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they just leave it all? I I don't quite fully understand it. And so this morning, I want to deal with that. I want to look into that, but before you sit down, here's what I need you to do. I need you to find somebody next to you, and I need you to tell them what your favorite story is. Could be a movie, could be a book, could be a TV show, could be a sitcom, rom com. I don't care. But before you sit down, you've got to tell them what is your favorite story, and it could be Harry Potter if you're not embarrassed to mention it. It can be, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know Hunger Games, whatever. You just got to mention to somebody your favorite story, your favorite story, and then sit down. Find find somebody next to you, tell them what your favorite. story story is and then once you've told them and hopefully you're not too embarrassed to share what your favorite story is tell somebody share with them let them know what your favorite story it's okay to talk out loud tell them what your favorite story is everybody's got a favorite story and once you've done that you can find a seat and sit down you can find a seat and sit down once you've done that a favorite story i've got lots of favorite stories I've got books that I love to read. This past week, I've read about three books. We had a little extra time, and so just if if I have extra time, I just read. Now, for me, when it comes to reading, I used to love to read fictional books. So I took a um, my wife and I, a few others, we took in college. They had this speed reading thing that they did, and so I did it, and it kind of helped to get through books a little bit faster and that type of thing. So I could just read. So I I love a lot of books. One of the books that I love is um, I do enjoy. And this is this is you're probably gonna laugh. Uh, The pastor likes this. I'm a big Lord of the Rings guy. I like the Hobbit. I like those books. For whatever reason, they just kind of appealed to me when somebody told me about these little short people that had furry feet and a ring. I, I don't know what it was. It just kind of resonated with me. And so I'm really into those books. And there's, there's other things that I just like. There's just so many great stories. If it's a movie, it'd have to be Princess Bride. And it, it, that goes back to those that are maybe from a different time and different era or something. But there's so many great stories out there. And so in this passage, though, this is a great story. But that's not really what I'm driving at because why would these guys drop everything? Why would they? Because, I mean, that day and age, I mean, you don't just leave your livelihood. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I can just go get another job. You didn't get a job in those days. It wasn't like, hey, here's my resume. I went to four years. I have my bachelor's. Oh, hey, I got my master's. You just, that's not how it worked. You see, in that day and age, when you were a young boy or a young girl, you would go to school until you are about 12 years old. And at that point, there would be the rabbis would come or the teachers in the community would come and they would look over the class. Whatever city, whatever town, they would come, they would look over the class and they would choose the smartest person in that class. And they would say to that person, follow me. It's the exact same term that Jesus used for his disciples. And what it meant to follow me was to be, hey, you're going to be my pupil, you're going to be my disciple and you're going to follow and you're going to learn of me. But you got to understand something. That was the only way a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl would advance. But most time it was where only the few would be chosen out of the class. And if you were not chosen, you were told to go back home and to continue your father's trade. So if your father was a carpenter like Jesus stepfather Joseph was, you would become The carpenter. If your father was a fisherman like Peter and his brother Andrew, they would follow in their father's trade. These people at 12 years old had been overlooked. There was no advancement. You didn't say, hey, you know what, today I wanna go and and be a baker today. No, no, no. It was all about trade. So for these disciples to say, hey, we're forsaking all and following Jesus, it's not like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just get another job. Like today, I'm amazed at how many people are just like, oh, I quit a job, but it's all right. I got another job. I mean, people just like quit them all the time. It doesn't matter because there's, there's another job, and you can go to a trade school, and you can learn a trade. But for these people, they weren't just saying, hey, we're done with our job. They were forsaking everything. That was their livelihood. It wasn't any government assistance. There wasn't any handouts. There was nothing. They were saying, we're going to forsake everything and follow Jesus. That just doesn't make any sense. And if you engage the story, you'll see that too, that that's illogical. That's irrational. Why would anybody do that? And as I began to wrestle with the question, it came to me. Because they knew that staying as a fisherman, their story, their life story was already written. Because their father was a fisherman. The father before them was a fisherman. And their father before them was a fisherman. And the father before them was a fisherman. And for the first time in their life, here was the chance at a different story. Here was the opportunity to break out of the cycle. Here was somebody that looked into them and said, I see something. I want you to follow me. And for the first time, they said, this is the opportunity at a totally different story. You see, this morning, I want to deal with that idea. Because to follow Christ is to take on a different story. Because you can look at your life. You can look at your life and you can say, hey, I've been down this road. This is the same story my parents told. I'm living the same story. This is the same story that my grandparents lived. My grandparents had these issues. I had these issues. My parents had these issues. It's just passed down. And you know this story. So for the first time, there's got to come a recognition where it's saying, hey, it's time for me to change the story. I want a new story. You see, to follow Jesus for the first time in their life, they said, this is the chance. And not just a new story, but a better story. See, I'm tired of churches and church people acting like we don't tell a very good story. We have the most amazing story of all. Here are these disciples. They were going to follow this person who was culturally changing. He was this homeless hermit of a rabbi that would go around the Jewish countryside who was upsetting the establishment. I mean, today, this guy would have been a hero. You would have seen him right up there with uh, Ron Paul and some of the other people. They'd be like, yeah, this is our guy. Let's try to elect him. I mean, this guy's popular. He's connecting with the millennial generation. Look at his stash, man. I mean, he knows the right brew of coffee. I mean, look at those glasses, too. I mean, that's Jesus. He was just kind of that person, and he just kind of connected with these people, and they said, we're going to follow him because it's a different story. It's one we've never heard. You see, following Christianity, it's not more of the same. It's all totally new. And if you're tired of the story you've written and you want a new story, then this message is for you because it's all about writing a new story, living a better story. I used to have a tagline for the church, and as I began to think about this message, I was thinking my tagline is crap because this just doesn't go because I tell people all the time, we meet where great stories are told to tell the greatest story of all. That was my tagline. And I was like, ah, it just doesn't work. Because that's too much, that's the problem with Christianity. We're only telling great stories. We're not living great stories. We love to tell a great story. Come on, don't you remember those times you'd sit around with somebody who's a World War II vet and you're just sitting there and they're just telling you just these incredible stories? Or you're talking to this couple who's been married for 50, 60 years and you you ask them, hey, how did you guys meet? How did you fall in love? What was that like? How did you guys handle the Great Depression together? How did you guys like getting off the ark together? I mean, just tell me about it. I mean, share your story. And you're just engaged in the story because the story, it's epic. It's not some cheap Hollywood knockoff. Their story's powerful. And then you start looking around at your life, and you're thinking, my story's not that great. Because I'm afraid too often we're not living a better story. We're just living a story that's not very good. Matter of fact, you can look at your life, and you can see, and you can say, you know what? Being an alcoholic, I know where this story's going. Being a drug addict, I know where this story's going. This is my third marriage. I know where this story's going. Hey, I have anger issues. I know where this story's going. I have relationship issues. I know where this story is going. I know, I know, I know where it's going. Following Christ was the chance at a different story. But the church, for too long, we've been just telling stories. And instead of saying, hey, let's live a better story. Hey, let's engage. Let's go do something. Let's not just be one that talks about stories. That's why I love our growth groups. If you're not a part of one, I'm going to constantly beat that drum and sell that. Because we're not just there to just talk about the Bible. You say, Isn't it a Bible study? Yeah, kind of, but not really. We're there to engage with somebody's story, to encourage somebody's story. Because life is lived in stories, in moments. And for you and I, the moment we stop living these great stories, then we start thinking life is boring. Come on, think about your best memories with your family. It's around some crazy story, isn't it? It's around some wacky, weird thing. Our family, we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we'd load everybody up and our Ford van and we had 9 people so we had to go to the junkyard we took an old captain's chair out of an RV my dad bolted it down to the back and so you had this swivel captain's chair just in the middle of this van we'd be driving down the road this is before you could um have like a TV in the van so my dad had one of those monster TVs we plugged it into the cigarette lighter we put that on top of a cooler and man we'd be driving down the road with this big old TV eight kids arms hanging out and everything and we were just crazy bunch of people and just driving down the road all kinds of crazy memories all kinds of crazy things that would happen but all revolved around a story i'm afraid when we come to christians you say hey tell me your story they're like what and we miss it we miss the power that's in a story well here in this passage you say well well how is it possible to live a story live a better story because too often i feel like we don't like our life story we see where it's going but i've got to ask this question too Whose fault is it that you're not living a very good story? It's not your spouse's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not your children's fault. It's our fault if we're not living a better story. Because the choice is up to us. Our story is what we make of it, isn't it? Our story is what we write. Our story is what we do. How is your story? Is it a very good one? Is your story the type that you would want somebody to read about? Is your story the type that you want to one day gather around the grandkids or great-grandkids and say, all right, let me tell you a great story. Let me tell you about my life. Or is your story going to be a cautionary tale instead of a heroic tale? A heroic tale of ups and downs, of bumps and bruises, of love and loss, or is it going to be one where you're just, nah, don't do what I did. You can change your story this morning. But you say, how? How do I change my story? How do I turn it around? And number one, planning out the possibilities. First of all, I know what you're thinking. You're like, yes, I need a plan. I'm not a very good planner. But no, that's your problem. You are too good of a planner. You want your story to turn out in just such a way. Here's Peter. Peter had fished all the night, and Jesus told him in verse number three. He entered into his boat, and Jesus said, launch out in the deep. And in verse number four, Peter 5 says, Master, we've toiled all the night. Hey, we've tried this before. It's not going to work. Here, Peter said, I've already got a plan. I already tried it. It didn't work. And so many of you, you're looking at your story, and you're saying, God, I know you want to do something with my life, whatever, whatever but I tried that. It's not working. I tried the God thing. I tried the church thing. I tried the Bible reading thing. I tried the baptism thing. It's not changing my life. I've tried this. I've had this plan and this plan and this plan. What's wrong? But the problem is you're trying to plan. You see, you don't have to have a plan. You just have to be present. Jesus didn't need Peter to have a plan, did he? Jesus didn't say, hey, you're going to be broke. You're going to be homeless. What's your plan, Peter? Did Jesus mention a plan? No. You see, for your life, many of you are stopping short of your full potential because you think you've got to come up with the plan. But God is saying, it's not about your plan. I don't need your plan. Think about it for a second. Before David went and killed Goliath, did he sit down and say, all right, God, what's our strategy here? No, no plan. Get some rocks. Go kill a giant. Come on. It's that simple. Just be present. Too often, I meet people who are just not even present in their own story. They've just checked out. They're just oblivious. You go home, you turn on the TV, you sit there, the kids run around, and you're not even present in your own story. The best thing you can do is just be present in your story, to engage with your story, instead of let your story just go by. So many times we let our marriages go by and and wonder why there's no love. We wonder why our kids are turning out rebellious and we never engage them, because we're never doing anything in our story We're not writing anything. There's nothing to compel them. There's nothing to challenge them. There's nothing to give them a goal to aim for, something higher to live for. Instead, our story is just one of, if it happens, it happens. Because we're so busy trying to plan the perfect story instead of understanding that it's not about my plan. God has his own plan. And guess what? It's a better plan. You see, I grew up in a home where my dad didn't have a father. But one of the great things that my dad would do was on our birthday, we got to pick anything we wanted to do. So if we wanted to shoot somebody, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, you guys are way too serious. I'm just kidding. But if whatever we wanted to do, my dad was like, okay, it's your birthday. We're going to go do it. You want to skip school? We'll skip school. You want to go out and go to the arcades all day? We'll go to the arcades all day. You want to go to a buffet and just eat all day? We're going to eat all day. You want to go miniature golfing? We'll go miniature golfing. It's your birthday. It's your day. Whatever you want to do, let's just go do it. My dad just said, on your birthday, I'm just going to be present." I'm just here. Anybody that's ever been through a tragedy or a loss, the hardest thing for the people around you is they don't know what to say. But here's what's powerful. They don't need to say anything. You just want them to be present. Hey, guess what, husbands? You know the biggest things our spouses, our wives want from us is our presence. Not that we're just just there and have to do the to-do list, but they want to know when they talk to you, you're present instead of, uh, what were you saying? I've been talking to you for 10 minutes and that's all you got out of it? We're not present. Our story is not very good because we're not even present in our own story. So it's time that we say, no, no, no. this is my story. I'm going to be present in it. Peter, he didn't have to have a plan. He just had to be there. God said, hey, I'll do a miracle through you if you'll just show up in your own story. And some of you, you need a miracle, but you're so checked out. You're so checked out of Christianity, so checked out of reality, and so worried about how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do this? How are my kids going to turn out? How is this going to happen? And God's just saying, hey, would you relax? i got a plan, but I just need you to engage. I loved how Dougie was trying to get us to just engage in the worship. Just got to be present. Just be present with it. Just sing with it. Just participate. And that's what God wants from us. Did God ever once in Scripture say, hey, what you guys' plan to save the world? No. Matter of fact, he said, I've got the plan. I just need the people who will be present in it. Our lives would be radically different if we just said, hey, I'm going to show up. I'm just going to be a part of it. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, here's what God said. He said, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God already prepared it. God's already got the plan. You and I just have to show up and engage with it. You just got to show up at a church and say, hey, how can I engage with our community? How can I engage in a great story? How can I engage with my family? Some of you are worried about your children. Just go sit down and talk to them. Engage them. Go take them rock climbing. Do something crazy with them. Just engage them. Take your spouse on a wild adventure. Do something to write a better story because it's nobody's fault but yours that your story isn't very good. And I'm tired of people, especially Christians, acting like, Oh, my story's not very good. Of course it's not, because the way you're acting, you're not engaging. You see, we need to practice being present. It doesn't just come naturally. We have to engage. We have to practice. We have to work at this thing, especially in a society where everything is pulling for your attention. Your phone is pulling for your attention. Your email is pulling for your attention. The TV is pulling for your attention. Your kids are pulling for your attention. Your spouse is pulling for your attention. So it's very hard to even engage. Even on a service right now, some of your pockets are vibrating from your phone. Some of you are thinking about things you've got to do this afternoon. Some of you are just not really engaged because work is this, and you're not present in the moment, and you're missing out on great moments because you're never present, ever, ever. It'll be a family gathering. You're not there. It'll be on vacation. You're not there. It's one thing to be there physically. It's a whole other thing to be emotionally engaged. Physically present is one thing. We've Got to take that next level. Practice being present. Practice being present in the will of God. Here is Peter just saying, hey, nevertheless, I'm just here. Historians, as I was doing research, they said at that time, there's about 250 boats, typically on the Sea of Galilee. How come scripture only records two? They weren't present. Did Jesus know whose boat he was getting into? He said, I'm just going to get into somebody's boat. Just somebody who's present, I'm just getting in your boat. They all missed out on an awesome miracle because one person just said, hey, I'm going to mend my nets. I'm going to do some work so I don't have to do it later on today. I'm going to do it right now. Jesus is teaching, and here's an opportunity. And Jesus just stepped into that moment, stepped into it because somebody was present. But the problem is too many times we trust our plan more than we trust the person of Jesus Christ. And we've got to get back to the point where we're trusting Jesus more than we're trusting our plan. You see, I believe many of us are prone to plan. How many of your planners, you'll admit it, you're a planner? Oh, yeah, I knew you. I knew those people because you're the type that on your iPhone or on your phone right now, you've got a list, and you've got plans. And if this preacher don't get done by 1105.30, that, that I'm getting up and going because i got a plan. i got stuff to do. I must be going, and I don't got time for all this stuff because you are a planner. For me, I'm trying to be a planner. I need to work at it. But my wife, she lives by a list lives by it and if the list is missing oh man it's on because we got to find that list because they don't know what to do without a list you don't know what to do because you're prone to plan you're kind of like Hannibal Smith from the uh, the Team. I love it when a plan comes together that's a throwback for some of the older school generation all right so you love it when a plan comes to work all right but the problem is you trust your plan too much it's all about your plan and then the plan goes off you're thinking what am I going to do now when God said it's not about your plan about me just trust me because jesus is in the boat everything changed because why was peter a better fisherman all of a sudden or is it because of who was in the boat who's in the boat so this morning jesus is like hey can i get in your boat can i get in your life can i just step in can i just step in can i just can i just can i just can i just i'm not i'm not gonna go any farther many of your word but jesus is like hey can i get in your boat can i get in your life Many of you didn't think I could do that that fast. I didn't even know I could do that. That's awesome. I'm going to try to do it. No, I'm not going to do it again. But Jesus is like, hey, can I just step in? Can I just interrupt everything and get in your life and shake some things up? Can I just just do something miraculous in your life? Or you're like, no, Jesus, you don't fit in my plan. Jesus is like, "Mm, I want to cuss. I really do. To hell with your plan. All right? It's like your plan doesn't matter. It's not about your plan, but we get so engaged in our plan, don't we? It's all about our plan, our agenda. And God is like, there's a person I need you to talk to. There's a moment I need you to engage with. There's a church I need you to be a part of, but you're all about your plan. Your plan is not big enough. And God's like, I got something so much better, but you're all about this plan. And God's saying, your plan doesn't matter. My plan is so much bigger. Will you engage with my plan? we be present in the moment because when Jesus steps in the boat, things happen. Will you let Jesus get in your boat? Will you let him shake some things up? Will you let him surprise some things? Will you let him just shake things up for you? I'm glad one person wants Jesus in the boat. At least we've got one. I'll take one. Amen. We'll take that. So understand, we've got to get back to the point where we've got to know it all. Think about this. We've all got a GPS in our pocket. But when it comes to our GPS, as you're driving down the road, does the GPS say, turn left, turn right, turn left, straight, left, right, right? No. It tells you turn by turn. As you come up to it, it says, now go this way. God's the same way. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, it'll tell you exactly when you need to make the turn. It'll tell you, hey, here's the moment. Now, all right, go a little bit longer. All right, here's what you need to do. If you'll engage, you'll be present. But too often, what we like to do is like, God, no, no, no. There's this feature on my maps where I can see the whole thing, and I'll figure it out. And God's like, but you don't understand there's traffic over here. You don't understand there's going to be an accident over here. You don't understand you're going you're gonna to lose a tire over here. Don't trust your plan. I, I think the Bible has something to say about that. Matter of fact, I, yeah, there is. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He'll do it. But he said, but you can't trust you. You can't trust your plan. You got to trust my plan. And this morning you say I want to live a better story because my story is not very good. You got to ditch the plan. You got to say God, I'm just going to be present in your story. God, I understand it now. I see it better. So you got to understand, planning out the possibilities doesn't work. Notice this one. All right we got to read, we got to read. Here, look at the scriptures. All right, verse number six. And we, the, he, when he had done, done this, he throws out the net. They enclose a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. Here's the, here's the problem, okay? So he threw out the net. He's thrown it out. But before we get there, he had been washing his net on the shore, right? He'd been having it on the shore. What did he have to do? He, see, here's the thing. Look at the timeline. Jesus said, hey, let's get in the boat, takes him out. But fishermen in that day and age would take the net, And they would set it on the side to dry out. Peter had to then get back out of his boat and go get the net. Some of you want God to use you, but you don't even have your net. you got to go back and get the net. He gets the net, puts it back in the boat. And now God says, hey, throw your net out. But here's the problem. you got to pull that back in. Notice what Scripture says. Scripture begins to say, not only do you have to pull it out, but in verse number six, it says, the net was so full it began to break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were with them in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came, and here's what's interesting about this story, okay? So, God's going to do a miracle. God's going to do a work in your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to radically turn things around. You throw out the net. But that's not enough, right? What do you have to do next with that net? you got to pull it back in. Write this down. We need to pull out the potential. Your story has potential, but you've got to pull it out. Your story has potential, but it's just that's, that's all it is until you pull back in. You see, Peter, it was one thing. He had the fish. He knew they were there. He could see them in the net, but he had to pull it in. Hey, D, can I borrow you? Can you stand right there for me? Mecca, can I borrow you? Can you help me for a second? Yes, excellent. Give these volunteers a round of applause. This is interactive church today. Mecca, can you stand here? D, can you stand right there? Mecca, you are going to be Peter this morning. D, you are going to be potential, okay? Hold that end of the rope, please. Hold it real good. Mecca's really strong, okay? So (laughs) she may pull you down, all right? Mecca, D is your potential, okay? D, she's going to pull on the rope, and you're not going to let her pull you, okay? You hold it. Mecca, can you pull the rope really good? Real strong, just as hard as you can, Mecca. As hard as you can. It's really hard. It's really hard. Why? Because potential's never easy, is it? Potential never just comes. Nothing in life that you've earned or accomplished was easy. You had to work and you had to pull. But here's the great thing. We got some big people here because Peter wasn't alone. Was Peter alone? No. No, Yet, Andrew. Can you be my Andrew? Can you be my Andrew? All right, right here, right here. Grab the rope, grab the rope. All right, Dougie, can you be another one? Can you be John? Dustin, can you be another one? John had a brother. They were the sons of thunder, okay? That's what God called them, okay? Everybody, get on this rope. Get on this rope. Give them a round of applause. We got volunteers. Here we go. All right, now we're having church. Okay, everybody's on the rope. Everybody's on the rope. Now, let me ask you a question, church. Is it going to be easier to get the potential over? Why? Because look at this group. All of a sudden, it just started out with Peter. Just started out with one. And Peter was thinking, I can't do this. And you can't do it either. You can't. But God says, hey, let's get some help. And all of a sudden, you guys, don't knock him on his rear, but just kind of pull him a little bit. Just pull him. But just, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Just come. Just come. It's not worth fighting. Don't want to get hurt in church. We don't want to get sued. Don't want a lawsuit. Give him a round of applause. Have a seat. Have a seat. <laughs> potential always needs to be pulled out. And if you're not pulling out the potential, it's never going to come. It's never going to happen we got to pull it out. we got to pull out that potential. we got to draw it out. There's a potential in your spouse. There's potential in your husband. There's potential in your job. There's potential in your children. And it's not going to happen unless you're willing to pull it out, unless you're willing to work on that potential. But too often I see Christians who say, I want a better story, but I don't want to do jack. I want a better story, but I don't want to have to work. I want a better life, but I don't want any interruptions. I don't want to have to work for it. But you got to understand, if you're going to have anything better, you're going to have to pull. You're going to have to work. God says, hey, I'll help you. I'll be here. I'll provide the miracle. But you're going to have to pull. You're going to have to work this thing. There is potential in your life. There is power inside of you because God says, hey, your Holy Spirit does, resides inside of you. So you have all the potential. You have all the power that you need. But you've got to pull. And until we as Christians begin to realize that we've got to pull this thing, it's never going to happen. We've got to pull this church. We've got to pull this church. We've got to pull this church. It's not just gonna happen. We've got to pull this church. We've got to pull our families. We've got to pull our families. Husbands are gonna have to pull their families. If they want a good family. Uh, wives are gonna have to pull their husbands, if they want them to turn out. You're gonna have to do some polling. It's gonna take some work. Hey, moms and dads, you gotta pull those children. You want them to turn out. You gotta do some polling. You gotta do some work. I know your job isn't everything you want, but you're gonna have to do some pulling. You're gonna have to make a difference there. And if you're thinking you could just go in and not pull, you're missing out. Because the the key to having a better story is you being willing to pull. I need some people who say, yes, I'm willing to pull this morning. I'm ready to pull. I understand the story is not just going to be better on its own. I have to pull. I have to pull this thing. I have to pull this thing. So pull out the potential. Pull out the potential in people. Pull out the potential in your situation. But don't ever give up. Because too often we look at great stories. And what thing does every great story have in common? There's always a great story conflict, and you want conflict-free Christianity, and it's not reality. Here in this story, there's a conflict. I've fished all night. I've tried that, Jesus, but Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. I'm in the boat now, and now well, we're going to do a miracle, but you're going to have to work. You're going to have to pull this thing. Understand, Jesus created the world. It wouldn't have been anything for Jesus to just say, hey, fish, boat, just jump in. Just jump into the boat, but God understood partnership, partnership. We are part of this thing. We've got to participate in this thing. So there's going to be some conflict. Understand, in your life, there's going to be some conflict in the story, but that's okay because conflict is what is building you. The conflict in the marriage doesn't have to destroy the marriage. It can build the marriage. As long as you say, I'm going to continue to pull out the potential in my wife. I'm going to continue to love my wife. I'm going to continue to serve my wife. I'm going to continue to bless my wife. I'm going to continue to serve my husband. I'm going to continue to speak kindness over him. I'm going to continue to love my children even though they're rebellious. I'm going to continue to serve my children. I'm going to continue to serve the church. I'm going to continue to sacrifice for others. I'm going to continue because it's going to take some work pulling this thing out. But too often we say, no, 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 I don't want any conflict. But not only is conflict a hindrance, I also see that for a lot of people the biggest hindrance to their potential is doubt. And we need to keep doubt out. We need to keep doubt out. Say that out loud. We need to keep doubt out out, because you're looking at your story and saying, there's no way I could live a better story. You don't know my past. You don't know my life. There's no way I could live a better story, but the problem is, you're doubting the one who created you. You see, God created you. He created your story, and God knows your quirks. He knows your issues. He knows your faults. He knows your failures, and God says, I still decide to use you. I want to use you. Peter wasn't anything special. He got passed over by the rabbi. He's now a fisherman, and if anything, unless Jesus comes and changed anything, he would have continued to been a fisherman. But Jesus came and said, I'm going to pull out some potential. And Peter even had to deal with some self-doubt. I need you to understand this morning. It's not necessarily that you doubt God, but too often I meet Christians who doubt themselves. Too often I meet Christians, they don't doubt God and his power, but they doubt what God wants to do through them. But this morning we need to say, wait a minute, I need to keep doubt out of my life because God wants to do something. In the book of Colossians, it says that the hope of glory is inside of us. Christ, the hope of glory which dwells in us. God says, I want to do something. There's this hope of glory. You see, understand this, your story has all the potential you bring to it. Your story has all the potential you bring to it. Peter brought his net. His net was the potential. Your life is your net. What are you doing with your net? Where is your potential? Are you throwing your potential out the window? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people because of drugs, because of other things, they're saying, hey, I'm going to throw my potential out. Uh, Wrong friends, I'm going to throw my potential out. I promise you, Peter had friends that helped pull his potential not the other way around. The people that he called, James and John helped pull. They didn't push. And if you look around at your life and you see friends who are not pulling the potential out of you, they're the wrong kind of friends. And that goes for the teenager. That goes for the middle-aged person. That goes for the adult. That goes for the grandpa. That goes for anybody in this room. If you're surrounded with people that aren't pulling potential out of you, they're not your friends. Because a friend looks at you and sees the potential. They look inside and they say, there's, there's a diamond in the rough. I want to pull that out of you. Because some of you, you got friends, and they don't pull good stuff out of you. Matter of fact, as soon as you get around them, you're ticked off. You're miffed. You're upset. And instead of them pulling anything good out of you, they're just pulling garbage out of you. You get all upset you turn into a totally different person around those people but yet you constantly go back to those people it's time where you say you're not pulling potential out I'm done with these type of people All right, you say well that's not very Christian that's not very loving here's what I want you to understand you can be friendly but you do not have to be their friend and many times we think as Christians I just need to be everybody's friend no you don't you need to be friendly that's what the Bible says but you do not have to be their friend you do not have to go down there with them. You do not have to get sucked into the black hole of a vortex that is their life. You don't have to. But I see too many Christians. They have great potential. But the thing pulling them down is a people that they allow access and in- into their life. And it is sucking you dry. It is sucking your spirit dry. It is sucking out your potential. And God has great things for you. Great things for you. But until you say, I've got to get away, got to get some of this out of my life, you will never go to that next level. You'll never go to all that God has called for you. But I want you to understand, your potential is all that you bring to it. When I was younger, we used to play a game. Some of you played it. It was um, one of those scavenger hunt games. we play games like that. And uh, one day, we were at a friend's house. It was a Friday night. We were broke. Didn't have any money. We wanted a pizza, a movie, and some soda, and we were completely broke. I think we had 75 cents between the four of us. So I said, hey, I got an idea. Let's invent a fake scavenger hunt. Let's get on the computer, type up a little party, and we'll put all these items on it. And one of the items is a dollar. And we'll go throughout the neighborhood, saying, "Hey, we need a piece of gum, we need a dollar, and then we need one other item." And we'll check a bunch of them off. So when we get to their house, at least we get gum or a dollar, all right? But we'll say, "Hey, we've got, an, we're, we're about to win this scavenger hunt, but all I need is a dollar, and I'm gonna beat these other people." So we'd run throughout the neighborhood, and we'd be like, "I need, I need a." Um, Actually, there was one other. We needed a picture of their girlfriend. But we, I didn't want to mention that in church. So we had these three items, but, you know, it was uh, we, we needed a dollar. We needed a stick of gum. So we came out with a lot of money and a lot of gum. And that was our idea. And we had a good time. We got pizza. We got soda and that type of thing. Just one of those crazy things. Another game that we did was called Bigger and Better. Is anybody familiar with the game Bigger and Better? Like three of you, this is awesome. Okay. So the game Bigger and Better, we'd play with the youth group And they would hand us like a can of dog food or a paper uh, paper clip. And they would say, now go to a house and say, hey, I need to leave your house with something bigger and better than this. What would you trade me that is bigger and better than a can of dog food or a paper clip? We had people by the end of the night were coming back with pool tables. They were coming back with foosball tables, coming back with guitars. One person came back with an old truck. They drove an old truck because you just keep trading up, keep trading up, keep trading up, keep trading up. Here's Peter. God is looking at your faith and saying, hey, your faith is like bigger and better. You see, Peter had to say, I'm willing to give up my net so that God can give me something better. And some of you are sitting here this morning saying, I don't want to give up my net. And God is saying, I'll give something better. Your potential, your story has all the potential you bring to it. Do you have your net? And are you ready to say, here you go. I'm going to give up my net because then God will give me something better. Do you understand? Is it clearer now when every time the pastor or the preacher gets up and says, give up your life, give up this. God's going to give something because it's bigger and it's better. It's how God works. So your story has all the potential that you bring to it. Not only that, I want you to understand this. You need to pull out the potential in your story. You see, there's potential in the sea and there's potential in the shore. And you've got to pull it out. Pull it out. The Bible says in Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean your salvation is dependent on your works. It means that you've got to work this thing. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you've got to work. There's got to be some work. It's time we as a church, as we as Christ followers say, I'm going to engage with my story. I want to live and tell a better story. Many of you have great aspirations for your life, but without action attached to your aspirations, you only have good intentions. Let me say it again. Many of you have great aspirations for your life, but without action, you only have good intentions. And a lot of people, that's all they ever have. I meant to do that, I meant to be a better Christian. Man, I meant to love my wife before she left me. Man, I meant to love my children before they wanted nothing to do with me. Man, I meant to. You have an aspiration. But until you attach an action to it, it's just a good intention. This morning's message is nothing unless you say, yes, I want a better story. But what am I going to do to have a better story? Because many of you can get up and walk out of here and feel good. Feel like, yeah, I had a good time at church today. Finally, a little bit interesting. Man, I'm going to tweet that my pastor cussed. That was awesome. Can't wait to tell everybody about that. You know, you're just all these things. And instead of saying, wait a minute, what am I going to do about this? Instead of calling your wife and saying, honey, we need to sit down. There's some things I haven't been doing. It's almost football season. So some of you men know exactly what's about to happen. You're about to go into your cave, and we ain't going to see you for four months. And until right now, you say, wait a minute. Is that where I need to be? Should I be present there? Because one day, and I don't mean to get morbid, one day they're going to put you in a box. And then people are going to say nice stories about you. But I'm afraid sometimes people go to funerals and they have to lie make up stories because they didn't really live a good story or you can write your own story you can be the type of person they said you know what I remember my dad it'd be a school day but he said we're gonna go climb a mountain today and I'm gonna go talk to you about God and his creation I'm gonna teach you what it means to be a good man I'm gonna teach you how to love your wife that should be better than anything you're gonna learn at school I'm going to teach you about integrity. Teach about character. There's going to be some women in here and take their daughter and say, you know what? I'm going to teach you that you're not half a person. A man is not going to complete you. You're not a half a person. You're a whole person. And you don't need to find a man to be a whole person. And teach their daughters how to have courage. Teach their daughters to understand that they have value. And one day when you're in that box, they're going to get up and they're going to tell a story about your life. And people are going to look back and think, wow, that person really lived. Because we need to write a better story. There's power in story. A good story can make you laugh. A good story can make you sad. A good story can make you cry. A good story can make you want to jump up and spill your popcorn and soda all over the theater because that's just that kind of a story. Our lives were meant to be a great story. I read the first book of Genesis and I see an epic story of God building the universe. There's so much more, but we need to wrap it up. I'm going to tell you one final story. Viktor Frankl was in Auschwitz prison camp. And a lot of the men, they weren't supposed to, but they couldn't endure it. And the Germans made it so difficult, they would push these men to the brink of death without killing them because they wanted them to continue to endure torture. Viktor Frankl became a a well-known psychiatrist, wrote great books. But Viktor Frankl saw that men would try and commit suicide. He had lost his wife, his wealth, his family, all to the Nazis. But Viktor Frankl, he would find the men that were the most discouraged, the ones that looked like they were about to take their own life. And you weren't allowed to communicate. They tried to keep absolute silence, but Victor Frank would whisper in the ears of people, and he'd whisper things like, you matter. You can do it. And in his book, he said, I would whisper meaning back into their life. And this morning, I want to whisper meaning Back into your story. I want to tell you that you can have a great marriage. You can have a great family. Those kids you're worried about. They could be some of the best kids. Your work can be the best place to work. Your story can be the best story. But you need to understand. Every day of your life. Is a page. In your story. And every year, a chapter. Your life is a story. Make it a great one.